The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. This is the fall edition, and we just completed week one of the NFL. On today's show, we're going to talk about Peyton Manning's neck injury, his third surgery. We're going to talk a bit more about concussions, Chase Utley, and the effects of a 92-mile-an-hour fastball on the human brain. We're going to do a complete breakdown of the games in the the NFL, and we're going to be joined by Spencer the Wizard, who will be soon opening up his own show, Wiz City. With that, fasten your seatbelts. We're in for a wild ride. Well, it's been a wild and woolly first day in the NFL. My voice is just coming back from a bout of laryngitis. And so I'm going to be leaning a lot on our guest analyst, Mr. Spencer Grossinger. We just watched the most improbable game between the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Jets. The first time in 250 games where the Dallas Cowboys had a 14-point lead and somehow they lost it in miraculous fashion. Spencer, what do you think of that game you just saw? Just an incredible uh, performance. The Jet, the Jets special teams with the blocked punt. Um, just how resistant the Jets were. Just winning the games in other ways. You know, their defense. Of course, Darrell Revis. Probably the most talented defensive player in the in the league today, um, with the huge interception and Nick Folk with a very clutch fifty yard field goal. Sanchez had his moments tonight. Um, the the uh, Schottenheimer really let him go with letting him throw the ball forty two times, and you know he he threw over three hundred yards and had a great game, um, and, and just a huge win for the Jets. Um, but you see that Dallas has a lot of potential. They just need to do a better job of closing out the games. The Dallas D looked great, and of course the offense ha- has you know so much potential with Austin and, and Bryant. Just just an awesome game. Just just really enjoyed it. It was a treat on Sunday night. Well, there are a lot of subplots here. This was the 10 year anniversary of 9/11, and appropriately, the Jets were picked to be the premier game. They were all wearing the FDNY shirts. And it was great to see both teams honoring America. It's been a very emotional weekend. And what a spectacular game. And in terms of irony, when the score was 24-24, it was up to number 24. 
And sure enough, Rex Ryan changed the defense. Normally, Revis would be alone on Revis Island, but instead, they had safety help deep. Revis was able to cheat underneath, and there it was. The pass intercepted, ran back just enough for Nick Folk to kick a 50-yard field goal. And at the end, Romo valiantly tried to rally the troops. Jason Witten picked a player coming across the middle. Uh, he probably didn't have to be so obvious, but that really was the killer. That was the nail in the coffin, and it went right down to the end, eight seconds. Then there was a little mishap at the end where the the ball was actually snapped, and Romo didn't look <laughs> didn't look ready for it. Uh, in, in fact, it was a good it was a good effort just to get a hold of the ball, and so that's a game where uh, neither team wanted to lose it. It was it was really exciting, Dallas. Uh, came in. I think Jason Garrett has really taken over this team as an offensive coach. Certainly, uh, the ghost of Wade Phillips uh, ha- has that 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 steam and that murk has dissipated uh, over the uh, off season, and uh, just just a, just a wonderful week to get started. And now let's uh, we're going to run through some of the uh, the games of the day. Certainly, Spencer uh, going to give you a clean easel and. Uh, why don't you uh, select some games to go over? Okay, thanks, Bruce. It would be my pleasure to do that. Uh, just so thankful for football. Uh, so happy that we could get uh, underway here um, in September. First week of the season. So excited to finally see the starters playing all four quarters of football. And it was just a treat. Today was a day I've been looking forward to ever since the end of the Super Bowl where Green Bay was on the, it was on the podium in Arlington, Texas. And t- today was a, uh, today was a big day, um, in the NFL. Uh, some newsworthy games for sure. Um, this one I did not see coming. Buffalo 41 to 7. Are you kidding me? Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Ivy Leaguer, four touchdowns, Steve Johnson, Buffalo Bills rolling. They shut down Matt Castle and the and the um, AFC West champions in the Kansas City Chiefs. A lot of people are high on Kansas City. Dwayne Bowe, Matt Castle, of course, Jamal Charles, the fastest running back, arguably the fastest running back and most talented one in the league. Just the Bills, unbelievable. Most people were taking them in the suicide pool. Then you look at Philly over St. Louis. Many thought that this could be a trap-up game for the Eagles. They came out um, sluggish out of the gates. Uh, St. Louis took a 7-0 lead, but then Michael Vick came into his own, made some fabulous throws. The offensive line is improving, and the de- and the Eagles tackling on defense. I mean, Sam Bradford is great at throwing short intermediate passes, and all of his passes that were actually caught the Eagles were right on top of it. Um, the Rams' offense could not get anything going, and Vic was very exciting. Big win for the Eagles. Detroit, too. Matthew Stafford was impressive. Three touchdowns. Megatron, my boy Calvin Johnson, two touchdowns. Detroit over Tampa on the road. Oh, then we have Baltimore making a statement versus the two-time defending AFC champions, Pittsburgh Steelers, Joe Flacco, finally getting the monkey off of his back. He's now 1-7 versus Ben Roethlisberger when Roethlisberger is playing 35-7 in Landover, Maryland. Or, excuse me, in Baltimore. 
Now let's, uh, oh, and Houston today over Indy. Actually, this wasn't a huge surprise because Peyton Manning is the heart and soul of this Indianapolis team. He is the face of the franchise. Without him, it's just a complete morale downer for the, for the, um, for the Indianapolis Colts. Houston, Matt Schaub, they're on the brink of greatness, folks. If you look at Houston, um, Houston this year is where Green Bay was last year. You know, Green Bay lost in the first round two years ago before winning the Super Bowl last season. They lost versus Arizona. Uh, Houston's on the brink of doing something great. Uh, they could easily win the AFC South this year. Um, it's a weak division without Manning, it, without Peyton Manning on the Colts for the first couple months of the season. They should actually find themselves in the playoffs. They can make some noise. Cam Newton, rookie of the day. This kid's a stud, big time quarterback. I knew he would be great. It, you know, barring that he's healthy and knock on wood, he'll be healthy for his career. The guy's six foot five. He's an athletic stud. He's, he's muscular. He can already make throws that, that, um, that veteran quarterbacks dream of making. He was throwing 40-yard darts, just bullying, bulleting the ball, making Steve Smith, who's 35 years old. Many people thought, oh, Steve Smith's washed up. When Cam Newton is on the field, Steve Smith is the Steve Smith of old. Cam Newton lighting it up for over 400 yards. Who would think that he would be the quarterback of the week already? This kid, the sky's the limit for him. Just a huge arm strength. Um, Arizona, though, made some big plays. Kevin Cobb, very efficient day. Um, got some runbacks for touchdowns. Um, early Doucette with a big 70-yard reception. Carolina just gives up too many big plays. But Cam Newton, whew, what a game. San Diego over Minnesota, too. Um, uh, San Diego squeaks it out late. Um, what, what are your opinions on today? Well, the the one stat that uh, that, that strikes me as uh, I thought was a misprint, uh, our old friend from Philly, Donovan McNabb, shows up with thirty nine yards, thirty nine yards passing, and uh, you're not going to win many games in the uh, in the Pee Wee Football League throwing thirty nine yards, maybe a few more in elementary school, in high school, in college, but thirty nine yards, not good, and. Uh, Again, McNabb in the, the first half, he, he, he made something with his feet. He looked like he was in charge, but, uh, I don't know, 39 yards. It looks like, uh, Minnesota is hanging their hat on that game. We, we were watching a game the first half. We were calling it the toilet bowl because it was San Fran in Seattle. And, uh, San Fran, uh, did kick it in and win the game. Your team, uh, the New York Giants, uh, we could say had a disappointing, first game and uh you watched it intently spencer so give us your analysis of giants at washington skins final score dead skins i mean red skins with future hall of famer rex grossman at the helm 28 new york football giants 14 break it down for us now well, the Giants sure did um, a good job of making Rex Grossman look like Joe Feisman out there, quarterback um, for the Redskins today. So Rex Grossman, I mean, I have to hand it to him. He he torched the Giants today. But that's more – it shows more on the Giants' defense does it, does it um, Rex Grossman. Um, we know what Rex Grossman can do. He can make throws at times, but – 
he's not a superstar. He shouldn't be throwing over 300 yards on opening day um, like that. Um, the Giants secondary with the injury to Terrell, um, Terrell Thomas, you know, they're just really hurting at secondary. Um, just horrible calls on third and one. Why are you pitching it to Bradshaw? Why do you even have Bradshaw in the game when you have Brandon Jacobs, who's like a foot taller than him and who's about 100 pounds bigger than him? Why can't he truck through and get a yard? I mean, isn't that what he does? Isn't that why he's on your roster? It's for situations like third and one. Bradshaw's a great screen pass guy. Bradshaw's very electrifying. He's quick. He can make great cuts. But when you need a yard, when you need to smash Malfit and get that yard, they they missed two third and ones today, just crucial. The play with Entrell Roll also when he when he hit the guy when he was on the ground with his helmet. It was in the middle of the fourth quarter. The Giants needed a stop. It was third and eight. Rex Grossman threw the ball. The Washington receiver caught it two yards short of the first down. He was on the ground. So the Giants, all they had to do was tap him with two hands if the receiver's already on the ground laying there. But Entrell Roll decided to go helmet to helmet with the guy. It was one of the most boneheaded plays in recent memory that one just got me livid as a Giants fan but also as a football fan just a dirty play but just a moronic play and guys could get cut for that so you know even though the Giants signed on troll roll I'm just mind boggled that he would do something like that Eli Manning again with the interception the pick six from his very own 10 some place today Eli throwing off his back foot you're just like come on um when Eli rarely at time he made about five good throws but again Eli just inconsistent today the offensive line not giving him a lot of protection um Steve Smith he's missing Kevin Boss he's missing um, the whole O-line, like O'Hara, and, and the changes that they've made. Uh, was it Pettigrew that they dropped also? They dropped two veteran um, players. But the secondary got torched for the Giants by Grossman. Grossman had all day. Um, it, the performance for the Giants was just very poor. Um, I know it's the first game, though, and when the Giants won the Super Bowl in 2007, they did go 0-2 to start, and this is a long season, and the Giants are known for their mood changes. So we'll see next week on Monday night. should be fun. Well, I want to thank you for your breakdown, Spencer. Uh, just want to mention, uh, along the Voice America Network, in the, uh, the kids, what we call the teenage division, uh, Spencer's gearing up for a show in October which will be called uh, Wiz City for Spencer the Wizard. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. 
injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now... Back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Talk. Today's segment will deal with the issue of concussion. Our idea and understanding of concussions have changed so much over the last 10 years. Even as much as 10 years ago, a young athlete with a low-grade concussion would have been allowed to return back to the field. They often misnamed this as a dinger or getting your bell rung. As a result, many patients slash athletes have experienced very difficult sequela, that is, protracted headaches, thinking problems, and very important psychiatric side effects. So it's very important for us to look at the definition of concussion and look at the modern management of concussion. The clear definition varies among researchers, but most agree that it's a traumatic brain injury and it does not involve rupture of blood vessels. The, the downside of that is that traditional imaging, such as CAT scans and MRIs of the brain, will usually not show anything. And doctors may be falsely reassured to think there's no problem with the athlete. However, this injury is a cellular event. It's an injury to the neurons, which are the cells in the brain. Back when I was in training in the late 80s, we used to require a loss of consciousness, that is somebody being fully knocked out in order to diagnose a concussion. That's changed. A lot of the research shows that less than 10% of concussions, less than 1 or 10 of real concussions involve a loss of consciousness. And also, as I said, there's typically no abnormality on standard structural imaging studies, such as CAT scans or MRIs of the brain. Okay, now, what causes a concussion? What are the forces? What's the physics behind a concussion? Well, typically, it involves an acceleration. That's something that's moving forward and something that recoils backwards, which is called a deceleration. Another important part of concussions is not only a force in a line directed at the head or the brain, but also the head rotating, spinning. Why do boxers get knocked out when their head spins? It's because those rotational forces produce great force to the brain. Further, if we look at sports concussions, we'll see that some of the worst, most protracted symptoms occurred people who have had rotational injury. Great example of that 
is the best hockey player in the world, Sidney Crosby. If you look at a slow-motion video of his hit, you'll see his head forcefully rotating. So his brain is not only subject to sublinear forces, that is, the hit straight forward, but also a rotary action. So these rotary forces cause tremendous injury to the brain. So I told you that a concussion happens at the cellular level, that is, in the neuron. So what happens? So you have a brain cell, it gets hit, it gets injured. So the membrane, which holds everything inside the cell, gets disrupted. So potassium, which is a very important part of the inner portion of the cell, tends to leak out of the cell, and this causes a triggered release of something called glutamate or glutamic acid. This is an excitatory amino acid. So this becomes what we call a positive feedback cycle. That means bad things are happening. So you've got potassium leaking out. All of a sudden, glutamate, you know, basically is recruited in the area. That's a very irritating, uh, injurious type of chemical. And then there's something called a pump. So what happens is the neuron tries to help itself. So the pump starts increasing activity. The only problem is you use, you use up all your energy. So what are, what's the energy? This is ATP. Going back to uh, nightmarish chemistry, ATP is adenosine triphosphate. So ATP is the energy we have, and also sugar gets utilized. So all this happens, and what builds up? Something called lactic acid. Lactic acid's a bad guy. So let's go over this again. It's a little complicated. Injury to the neuron. The membrane, the outer portion, gets disrupted. Calcium leaks out. Glutamate gets recruited. Then more potassium, more glutamate. Then the neuron says, I got a problem here. I got to start pumping out this, uh, this bad stuff. So what happens? The brain then utilizes energy in a way, overuses its storehouse of ATP and glucose. And lactic acid, a bad guy, develops. So I hope you're with me so far. So when lactic acid develops, what happens is the blood flow to that area of the brain decreases. So if you guys remember back in the 80s with Jimmy Carter, some of you weren't as old as me, hopefully, there was something called an energy crisis. You know what happened? There wasn't a lot of gasoline, and we called that an energy crisis. Well, guess what? When you lose your ATP, you lose your glucose, and all you've got is a waste product called lactic acid, and your blood flow to the brain diminishes, this is an energy crisis. Another bad guy, calcium is great when it comes to bone, but it's not something you want to have around your neurons. So basically, calcium also accumulates in the cells. So you've got potassium leaking out of the cells. You've got calcium surging in through the cells. We're losing blood flow. We're losing energy. And all of this culminates in actual cell death. That is, the neurons die. However, they are such that a small amount of neurons die to the extent that it's less than what can be resolved on an MRI or CAT scan. There's also a diminished metabolic state. That is, the brain just doesn't work well. And this happens to four weeks after injury. So we wonder, why do people who have concussions have difficulty with brain function? It's because this is going on. Those cells are just not working. So what do you have? You have people with slowness, fogginess, difficulty speaking, Difficulty seeing, difficulty processing visual information. This, due, this is due to the 
death of certain neurons. It's also due to the fact that certain brain cells are stunned. They may eventually recover. And so in the first four weeks, typically, you'll see the worst effects of a concussion. Typically, you will not see a delayed worsening of brain function. That's some small good news here. When you have a brain injury, it's not like you get you get bad, then you start. It's not like you are maximally injured in the first four weeks. You're getting better, and then a year later, you have a setback. That doesn't happen. So when you see that as a neurologist, you have to think it's something else going on. Sometimes it might be a psychological part of it. That is, patients often get very frustrated, very depressed. They're sometimes, for instance, a minor league hockey player I just saw. He's 29 years old. He lost his whole career. So when somebody is unable to work, unable to make money, they're isolated, they're staying at home, plus there's a brain injury, particularly to the temporal lobes, which is a part of the side of the brain, what happens is people get depressed. So you can't see a delayed worsening relating to a psychiatric problem, but with respect to brain function, if you as a doctor or a trainer see somebody who has a stepwise decline, you should think about something else going on. Girls are reported to have a higher rate of concussion than boys in similar sports. There's no scientific reason that has been delineated yet, but some believe that female athletes have neck muscles that are not quite as well developed, and therefore that acceleration and deceleration, that motion is more because the neck is less capable of resisting the force. Also, it might be due to, it might be due to reporting. That is, male athletes may be less likely to report their concussions and symptoms. So it may be that there are more male concussions than is recognized. Okay, so that therefore, if the if the girls are more likely to report the symptoms and the concussions. It may be that the research is skewed so that, in fact, many of the male concussions are simply underreported. Let's go over the signs of concussion. Physical signs. Headache, often mimicking a migraine. Nausea, vomiting, difficulty with balance. Tiredness, light and sound are very annoying to people with concussions. Also, cognitive, that means thinking, how the brains are working. They might repeat the same question over and over. They might be just slow about their reactions. Trouble remembering, trouble concentrating, feeling foggy. Emotional issues, very irritable, very sad, very nervous. And a very big symptom is sleep disorders. That is insomnia. Again, that's magnified by anxiety and depression. So when I treat patients... One of the first things I try to do is, number one, if they have a headache, try to give them some analgesics that will help them with respect to their pain. Another thing is to help them restore their sleep hygiene. There's certain sleeping pills we use, something called Ambien. Zoldepem is the generic. There's a drug called Lunesta. And there are certain drugs that we used to use to induce sleep which are actually not very good for patients with concussions. The Valium family, there's a big name called benzodiazepines. That's a big name. We won't ask you to repeat that one. But that is drugs like Dalmain and Restoril that were used many years ago to induce sleep actually have a very bad side effect. You know what that is? Memory loss, accumulation of metabolites, that is breakdown products, which further 
will increase the, the lack of performance or therefore decrease the performance of the brain. So I usually use Ambien or Lunesta. I try to stay away from Valium, Xanax, Restoril, all those medicines because they tend to suppress and inhibit brain function. So we're really moving along with our understanding of concussion. We're going to take a break and we're going to get back to how do we treat concussions. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. We're back. We're continuing to talk about how we as neurologists treat concussions. How do we manage concussions? The goal is to try to promote recovery and to try to educate the athlete, the parents, the trainers, the coaches, so that the athlete avoids activities and situations that may slow recovery. Now, we're up against a lot with this in the sense that we're up against the athletes who feel that it's not becoming to miss time, that they're letting down their team. And we're trying to instill the fact that the best treatment of concussion early on is to rest the brain. That is, to not overstimulate the brain. And that means for students to be away from school for a time, to be away from computers, texting, Facebook, Twitter, and all of that stuff that we rely upon. And it's important we mention that because some athletes might stay home and all of a sudden, they're involved in text wars, Facebook, Twitter, and all that. It's very important to rest the brain. It's also important for the parents of athletes to realize and to not be in denial that their kid suffered a concussion. And particularly dads, and I happen to be part of the male gender, are extremely resistant to the idea that their child might need time off of work. And they might say, back in my day, when we got our bells rung, they just ask us to hold up two figures and set us back in the game. So sometimes 
the, the, the parrots are actually barriers to treat. That's where some of the testing comes in. There's impact testing, axon testing. There's something called SCAT1, SCAT2. It's important that we subject the athletes to testing of their brains. And when they test very poorly, not only does that help us learn exactly what we have to work on, but it's also important to, to like hold up the results of the parents' faces and say, hey, listen, this is your kid. He only has one brain. And sometimes you need that objective testing to convince parents that appropriate treatment is indicated. The modern treatment of concussion is very new. That is, much of the literature has evolved within the last five years. That means that as far as medications that have been utilized for concussion, a large part of it is what we call empiric. That is, the doctor thinks it might work, so they use it. But as far as any really good large research, there is no evidence-based research regarding the use of any particular medication to accelerate the healing process of the brain. However, there are certain medicines that should be avoided because when the brain is injured, there may be a small amount of bruising or bleeding that may evade detection by CAT scan or MRI of the brain. So therefore, if you use a medicine that encourages bleeding, such as aspirin, ibuprofen, which is otherwise known as Motrin or Advil, or naproxen, otherwise known as Aleve, or any of the other milieu of platelet-inhibiting non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents, these are not indicated because they could encourage what might be a tiny little bleed or leakage of blood to become a full-fledged cerebral hemorrhage. So that is one group of medicines that are to be avoided. As I noted in the prior segment, there are certain drugs that tend to inhibit brain function as you know, a consequence of what they're doing. For instance, Valium, Xanax, all of those type of drugs, they're good for anxiety because they help calm people down. The only problem is, as a side effect, they make people lose their memory, at least temporarily. So benzodiazepines, Valium, Restoril, Transy, all these medicines should be avoided. So we want to avoid aspirin, ibuprofen, and benzos. What medications are used? Well, I've been all around. I've crossed the country several times in search of the ideal treatment for concussions, and this is a work in progress. At the University of Pittsburgh, Dr. Mickey Collins advocates the usage of a drug which allows enhancement of dopamine. So dopamine apparently is a good guy in the brain when it comes to treating symptoms of concussion. There's a drug called amantadine. Usually start at 100 milligrams, make sure it's well tolerated, and then go to two pills a day. So patients particularly who have resisted symptoms, that is, they go weeks or months, and they're not getting better, they're dizzy, they're off balance, they're slow. Amantadine stimulates dopamine and essentially is an agonist, that is, it acts like dopamine and has been at least anecdotally been used safely and effectively by doctors at the University of Pittsburgh. And they're a lot of the same doctors who invented the impact testing. We've also found in our practice at Grossinger Neuropain Specialist that in school-age kids, teenagers particularly, who are having difficulty thinking and remembering, and particularly scoring poorly on standardized computerized tests like impact, they tend to do very well 
on medicines that have a stimulatory effect, drug called Adderall and other amphetamine-like drugs can be used safely and effectively. The thing about these drugs is they shouldn't be used willy-nilly. They should be prescribed by neurologists or experienced sports medicine doctors because they're highly controlled substances. They can be abused if they fall in the wrong hands. But in our experience, they can have a great effect, at least to be used temporarily until the brain recovers. And this is very important for students, particularly teenagers who are in the process of trying to get into college, trying to keep their grades up, and they often have homebound instructors, and it's very key to get them back to school and to get, it, to get them thinking. So while this, while this class of drugs hasn't been extensively studied, certainly not to prove that they are effective, I can tell you that we've used them successfully, and when they work, they really work. We also have been very adept at treating headaches. As neurologists, we are the headache doctors. We treat migraines, cluster headaches, muscle tension headaches. It's our job to treat migraines. And there's some great drugs out there. There's a group called the Triptans. What they do is they stimulate a receptor in the brain called the serotonin receptor. Some of these trade names you may have heard of, Imitrex, Relpax, Maxalt, just to name a few. And these drugs, the nice thing about them, they're not inhibitory. They don't slow the brain down. They don't cause memory loss. They don't cause sedation. And they're not controlled or classified, so they're not something that anybody would abuse. So we use this class of drugs to treat the headaches early on. There's also some combination analgesic agents, which uh, I'll, I'll name some trade names, Estric Plus and Midrin. They're basically a combination of various medicines, including aspirin. Again, we don't want to use that early on when there's a suspicion of bleeding. Tylenol, caffeine, and some butalbital, which at a very low dose does not have a substantially diminishing effect on cognitive function. So we use combination analgesics, these pills that are mixtures of drugs, and we also use tryptian medicines, which are very selective for migraine headaches, for severe headaches. They're great for people who have light and sounded sensitivity, uh, visual symptoms in association with headaches, and what we call post-traumatic headaches with migraineous features. That is, a class of headaches that mimic migraines and are severe and debilitating, though occur as a consequence of a concussion. There's some experimental treatments that are being used anecdotally. There's something called hyperbaric oxygen. That's a special chamber that has oxygen, which you know is the important ingredient in the air for breathing. And a patient will go to a hyperbaric tank. And they might get 60-minute treatments over a series of weeks or months. Certain athletes who have been reported to have benefit from hyperbaric is Harry Carson, who's one of the leaders of the NFL Concussion Initiative, the captain of the 1986 Super Bowl Giants. He's a very big proponent of hyperbaric oxygen. Recently in the paper, it was reported that Terry Bradshaw also suffers from memory loss and possibly chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And that he went to California, and when he was there, 
he received a series of hyperbaric oxygen treatments. So listeners, let me be clear that nobody has proved, largely because of the studies, they just don't exist yet. This stuff is all very new. It's evolving in front of our eyes. We can't say for sure that hyperbaric oxygen helps. But it seems to be something fairly benign, kind of like chicken soup, and it probably can't hurt. And if your son or daughter is suffering from months of concussions, has tried everything, hyperbaric oxygen may be worth a try. Again, the insurance companies are going to pay for it because it's not an FDA-approved modality for treating concussion. So unfortunately, there are certain things in medicine that you have to you know, reach in your wallet and pay for. And, and certainly hyperbaric oxygen would fall squarely in that category. There's some other diseases such as wound care. If you remember uh, T.O., if you're a, an Eagles fan, T.O. had a foot surgery, a fracture, and he came back to play the Super Bowl, and he had a series of hyperbaric treatments for wound care. Also with burn care, hyperbaric is FDA approved, and it, it is paid for by insurance companies. But again, I want to emphasize that this, like many so-called experimental treatments, has not been proven, and therefore, typically, or I'd say always, insurance companies will not pay for hyperbaric oxygen sessions in patients with concussion. So again, there are many treatments of concussion. At the core is something called cognitive rest. That may include a leave of absence from school, shortening of the athlete's school day, reduction in workload and exertion. And as part of the recovery, there will be an acceleration of exertion, training, and eventually, when cleared by a physician, a return to the sport. This concludes the second segment of Concussion, and we hope you'll join us for the next segment. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you are listening to bruce the sports doc with dr bruce grossinger if you have a question or comment about today's program please call in at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the fourth and final segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. 
We kick it off the fall edition, and as always, we want to bring you the hottest topics in sports medicine. This week, second baseman Chase Utley was hit by a pitch 92 miles per hour. He didn't appear to even see the pitch coming. He didn't flinch. He caught it right in the head, and he was not knocked out. So we would technically call this a concussion without loss of consciousness. However, shortly thereafter, he reported some of the typical signs that we've asked you to look at with concussion. He had headache, he had lightheadedness, fogginess, and didn't feel right. So, thankfully, there is a protocol in Major League Baseball now. And that means when a patient, that is a player, is hit in the head and suffers a concussion, there is a seven-day watch period. And it's my understanding, firstly, let me point out that as a neurologist, I'm not personally treating Chase Utley. So the information I get is the same as you. And we're scouring, obviously, the Philadelphia newspapers and also listening to talk radio and sports radio in order to glean more information. It's my understanding that Chase Utley appropriately had an impact test two days after his concussion and that at present he's still being monitored for signs of concussion. This has been characterized as a mild concussion. If we look at some of the quotes, they give me heart because the goal of our show here at Bruce the Sports Doc is to provide information so that we can make sports safer. And that the, the one thing we always say is when there is a concussion, we need to have the patient and as a player take it out of the game until the symptoms resolve and until the impact score comes back to uh, what we think to be a baseline score. So with Chase Utley, they uh, did the right thing. They took him out of the game. He didn't have a second concussion. Also, when we talk about concussions, we always talk about second impact, third impact syndrome. We know how devastating it is because the concussion changes the brain itself. It causes leakage of calcium. It causes leakage of potassium. And therefore, when a patient goes back into the game and they have a second impact, this causes a devastating cascade and could lead to ruptured blood vessels, brain swelling, stroke, and even death. And we've certainly seen that, regrettably, uh, in different sports. Certainly we've seen it in boxing, football, hockey, and even soccer. Soccer remains the number one concussion sport for girls. And again, statistically, girls tend to suffer concussions with the same impact greater than men. So essentially, we have an update on Chase Utley. He won't return to the field for at least a week. For the Phillies, who have all but clinched the, the East and have clinched home field throughout the playoffs, they certainly have the luxury of resting Chase Utley. And, of course, Ruben Amaro, the general manager, appropriately stated the concern that, in his words, you know, getting hit on other parts of the body is not a big deal. But getting hit in the heart, something we call cardiac contusion, or as he would say, getting hit on the melon, which is the brain, uh, is no laughing matter. So uh, we could expect that Chase Utley will be evaluated day-to-day, his symptoms will be evaluated. Presumably, if he has headache, that will be treated. Should he have difficulty sleeping? He, it's obviously very important for patients to be able to sleep following concussion. 
and not being able to sleep certainly can exacerbate the condition and cause the brain not to be able to rest appropriately. So this week, one of my favorite players, second baseman Chase Utley, was sidelined with a concussion. And certainly here in Philadelphia and across the baseball world, we're going to be watching carefully. The second major news in the field of sports medicine this week was the somewhat abrupt decision for Peyton Manning to undergo a second major neck surgery since May. This, and I'm going to, let me qualify by telling you, number one, I don't treat Peyton Manning. Number two, I'm a neurologist and neurosurgeon, and I don't do neurosurgery. But given that caveat, I've seen literally hundreds of patients who have had similar procedures and who have required similar neck surgeries. And what I'm going to do now in this segment is to explain exactly my view of the prognosis for Peyton and also from what I've read and what's been reported as to what he can expect and the chances of him returning back to play this year and his career. Firstly, let's talk about the surgeries themselves. The first surgery in May was a more limited surgery. It involved a posterior approach. One of the nice things about coming in at the back of the neck, so this first procedure was designed to remove part of the disc and decompress the nerves in the neck. There was not reported to be a fusion, which means when the bones are actually connected together with spacers and plates after the first procedure in May. And according to reports, Peyton Manning's recovery was slow. They didn't understand why. He saw five different neurosurgeons, and it was reported that his triceps muscle was weak. So what does that tell us as doctors? What can we learn about the level of the surgery? Well, firstly, the triceps muscle is innervated almost entirely by the C7 nerve root. That is C7. Now, the C7 nerve root lives between the 6th and 7th cervical bone. So without anybody reporting it, we could presume that his pathology, that is his disc herniation, was at C6-7. That partial removal of the disc at C6-7 did not cause enough of a decompression. And therefore, the C7 nerve root, one of two things happened. Either number one, hopefully the outer covering of the nerve root, which is called the myelin, M-Y-E-L-I-N, failed to conduct the impulses, and therefore the signal to the triceps was diminished. However, there's a strong likelihood, given the chronicity of his neck problem, that means the duration of the neck problem, that this involved injury to the inner core of the nerve, which is called the axon. So what about the operation that just occurred? This was an anterior approach. Okay, that means they came in from the front. The surgeon came in, made an oblique incision, and totally removed the disc. And in the place of the disc, there was, most notably, I presume, an allograft, which is a portion of bone, usually donated by the patient himself, as well as a titanium plate. Now, why is the anterior approach a more durable procedure? Why is it a uh, potentially more successful procedure? It's because all the disc is removed. So if part of the disc re-herniated, that is, recompressed the nerve following May, now the disc is gone. 
and in its place there is a spacer, a titanium plate to preserve the space for the nerve and hopefully the nerve will grow back. Now whether or not the nerve grows back depends on the type of nerve damage. Again, if it's just a surface compression which could cause conduction block of the impulses to move the triceps muscle and arm muscle, then this may relieve the demyelination. If there is an axonal injury, it's a much slower recovery. That is, the nerve itself could grow a maximum of one millimeter per day. So envision the area of distance between the neck and the upper arm muscles. That would typically take months. And further, to recover from the neck surgery itself of the fusion, that typically will take two to three months just for a fusion. In most cases, a healthy athlete like Peyton Manning should have a successful fusion. In other cases, and in less likely situations, there could be what's called a non-fusion or a non-union, and that situation could prolong the recovery. So there's a lot of doubt as to Peyton Manning's situation. But if you were to ask me, Dr. Grossinger, what do you think? I would say that it's about 80% likely that Peyton Manning will not return to the field of play this year. And it would be ill-advised for the Colts to put him in the line of fire, given the constraints of playing quarterback in the National Football League. So if you were to ask me, what is the likelihood that Peyton Manning will return to play at all? I believe that, number one, this is a career-threatening situation, three neck surgeries. Further, while it is possible for him to have a recovery, a full fusion, and a recovery of his upper extremity power, that is his ability to regain power with extending his arm, that's the triceps muscle, I believe it's more probable than not, that is the majority likelihood that he will be unable to return at age 36 to the rigors of playing in the National Football League. If so, this would be a great tragedy. Peyton Manning, certainly with four MVPs, has demonstrated the intelligence and leadership, essentially uh, a coach on the field. They say that the offensive coordinator for the Colts is a job akin to the Maytag repairman. That is, uh, Peyton Manning runs the show. He devised his own offense, his own way of calling signals. If you look at him at the line of scrimmage, uh, just masterful in, uh, in audibling at the, at the uh, line of scrimmage, no huddle offense, and a brilliant player. Um, his work ethic is, is unrivaled. And um, certainly we wish, it, it, we wish Peyton the best, and there, there is some chance that he can return his career. But, again, like I said, I, I, I believe that his, uh, his season uh, appears to be most likely over, and his career is certainly threatened. We're going to follow the situation carefully and give you feedback as we move on to subsequent editions of Bruce the Sports Doc. So in summary, we started today with Around the League, Week 1, NFL, a lot of games to report, a lot of interesting occurrences. You heard Spencer the Wizard break down as he does the league, his analysis. Then we had two segments on concussion, 
Very important to reinforce. And finally, our fourth and final segment, we talked about Chase Utley and his brain injury, his concussion, and how we'll be reporting on his return to play. And finally, Peyton Manning, a sure Hall of Famer, age 36, major neck surgery a third time, and likely out for the season. We hope you found this show, as always, informational, informative, and fun. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you all next week. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.